Our second lesson is from Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 37. This is the familiar story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to the man and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I pray that your spirit would be in every word that is spoken. May every human word fall away, and may we hear you speak this day. May we hear you, and may we have the courage to go and do likewise. Amen. In my career as a pastor, part of what happens by being at the church as much as I am is that invariably there will be people who come to the church looking for immediate help. These are people who have some sort of situation that needs remedying right then. You can't refer them to the mission committee that meets once a month and have them do what needs to be done. Often other organizations also move slowly. And so they come to the church and they ask for help. This generous church in particular 
has a line item in my budget that I can use for discretionary purposes that people give to at different times. And so that means when they come, I can help them immediately. In my time here in Huntsville, we have buried a woman who was indigent and had no family left, but very much wanted a burial service. And so we paid for that, and I held the service for her. We have helped people who have called and have been evicted, can find help nowhere else, and ask us to pay for a night at a motel for them. And I do that. I have been to the sketchiest, scariest motels in Huntsville so that we could help. Most recently, about two weeks ago, we got a call from the hospital and a woman's husband was a machinist and through a terrible accident, all 10 of his fingers were severed and they had no place to stay near enough to the hospital for him to get care. And so we paid for them to stay a few nights in a hospital. This is a privilege and an honor. And I make sure they all know that this is a gift given on behalf of this church because God loves them. But it's also deeply uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable and a little scary to go to some of these places. I think our culture in a lot of ways have taught us to fear those who are poor in order to separate ourselves from them maybe. But there's a deep irony in that for me as a person because I have been the kid who stayed in the sketchy motel after being evicted. My family and I moved probably every 8 to 12 months between the time I was born and by the time I moved out of my mother's house because we wouldn't pay rent and we would get evicted and we'd have to find a new place. And so I've been that person. But I'm so insulated in my life. So much of my life is lived around people who look like me, who have jobs like me, who send their kids to schools like mine that I find myself walking into those places and thinking that somehow I'm on another planet with these dangerous people, when really, they're just people, God's beloved children, who need some help. But I'm always surprised at how uncomfortable and fearful it can be. We have this story of the Good Samaritan, and it starts with a lawyer a lawyer who probably knows how uncomfortable and fearful it can sometimes be to help people. This is not a lawyer of the kind that we are used to, who has something to do with civil laws or criminal laws. This is a lawyer in their religious tradition. This is a person who knows the laws and commands of God so well that people will come to him with questions about how they should live. He is a lawyer in the sense that he knows the laws and decrees of God. And so when he comes to Jesus, and the text says he comes because he wants to justify himself, and I think, same lawyer, same. <laughs> How many times have I wanted to justify what I was already doing so I didn't have to do something new? But he comes and he knows the commandments. He knows he's supposed to love his neighbor as he loves himself. And so then he says, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now I imagine 
What the lawyer is hoping is that Jesus will give him a definition of neighbor so that he can follow it and check that box and he can remain righteous. Maybe he's hoping Jesus will say, anyone within three square blocks of where you live is your neighbor. And if you've got that covered, you're fine. You'll be a shoe in. Maybe what he wants to hear is anyone between Airport Road, right, and California is my neighbor. No more, no less. If you can just cover that, you'll be fine. That's what he wants, and what he gets is a story. And the story begins this way. There was a man stripped and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. The fact that he is stripped is important because that means that no one can tell who or what he belongs to. If he were dressed a certain way, they might know that he is a faithful Jew and certainly will help those. If he is dressed another way, they might think, ew, that's just a Roman citizen. I'm not going to do anything with that. But it's just a man, a body, a broken body at that. And so the first person to come along is a priest. Now, at that time, priests were bound by very strict rules of what was clean and unclean. If he were to even cross the street and find that the man there was someone they deemed unclean, he by extension would be unclean. And he can't risk it, really. He just walks on. Next comes a Levite who is a religious person, not bound by those codes, but he too takes a look and walks on. And I wonder at this point if the lawyer is realizing that probably the reason they're walking on isn't because of cleanliness codes, it's because they're bigots, right? That's someone who's not theirs. He can't be important and they just move along. And so then comes a Samaritan. And I imagine the lawyer is thinking, who? A Samaritan? There is no one they denigrated more than a Samaritan. And it is the Samaritan who walks up to the man and binds his wounds. And that would be enough, yes? But instead, the Samaritan picks him up and puts him on his own animal and he takes him to an inn And he pays for his lodging and care. The Samaritan. The lawyer wants to know, who is my neighbor? The Samaritan is asking, who needs me to be a neighbor? Who needs me to be a neighbor? When you move through the world wondering who your neighbor is, you are automatically thinking that there are some people that you shouldn't help. But when you move through the world like a Samaritan and you ask the question, who needs me to be a neighbor, then the world opens up. And there are no delineations on who needs someone to be a neighbor. When the lawyer says at the end, well, obviously the one who was the neighbor is the one who offered mercy. Mercy, remember, is offering compassion to someone who is powerless. If you wonder why I have hope for the world, it is because the Christian church is really the only place 
where we ask, who needs us to be a neighbor? We're not asking it at Publix. We're not asking it in a book study. We're not asking it in any of those other places. But in the Christian church, we come together and we ask, who needs me to be a neighbor? We ask it in institutional ways. That's what your mission and evangelism dollars go to. That committee is prayerfully discerning who needs the most help in the coming year. It's also answered by people who come to the church, and it's answered by you as you live your life and as you try to follow in the way of Jesus. The bottom line is everyone is our neighbor because everyone is a child of God. And so instead of asking who is in and who is out, we need to ask the question, who needs me to be a neighbor? You know, I move through the world confident and secure. I don't show a lot of weakness. And I imagine that you in a lot of ways are the same. But to think about who needs a neighbor is to recognize that we were broken once too. That we were broken because we were sinful. And we couldn't earn our way to God if we tried. And when we are rooted in that identity, then suddenly we become a people who can offer care and love to all the broken of the world because we remember that we're one of them. I was thinking about this when I remembered the story of Franklin Delano Roosevelt as told in Doris Kearns Goodwin's biography that starts with the book No Ordinary Time. And she talks at length in there about the beginning of Roosevelt's career. And he had had some success in politics, but before he ran for governor even, he was struck paralyzed by what they thought was polio. Pretty much from the waist down, he was unable to move or walk. And everyone told him at that time, you should just forget about running for office. A, it'll be too much for your health, and B, nobody's going to vote for you. You don't look strong and confident. No one's going to vote for a paralytic. And so Roosevelt did some things to help answer this because he felt like he still had something to give. He still wanted to serve. He had these braces that he wore on his hips and on his legs. He painted them black and he wore pants that were a size too big so he could pull them over the braces and no one would ever see them. He would practice standing up and looking pleasant, even though it was painful and even though it was hard. He even developed this way of moving just his hips so that his legs would move too and shuffle along. And so it looked somewhat like he was walking, always portraying strength. In one of his political campaigns, actually more than one, They actually built a ramp and they drove him in his car up to the lectern so he could speak. And everyone thought, wow, what a show that he did that. He had to do it because he had to. He couldn't stand anymore. 
always portraying this strength. But there was one place where he made sure to show the extent of his brokenness. And that was the many times during the Second World War when he would visit a veterans hospital. And there were so many young men in those hospitals who had lost limbs, who found themselves maimed and wounded. And this is what Roosevelt said to the Secret Service. The braces go on the outside of the pants today. And I'm going to sit in a wheelchair. And you're going to roll me slowly beside each man's bed. Because they need to see that even in brokenness, there is strength and there is service and there is love. So over and over again, slowly... He would be rolled by each man's bed and he would offer them a handshake and a smile and a love and love and even prayer. He was not ashamed of his brokenness because he knew that those men needed a neighbor. Someone who could come and show mercy and offer love and support. Whether you are strong, whether you are broken, whether you know that you are broken or not, because you are a follower of Jesus Christ who was broken for us, because of that, we move in the world asking the question, who needs a neighbor? Maybe it's someone in the pew next to you. Maybe it is someone out in the community. Whatever it is, we trust in God to show us who needs a neighbor. And then we offer mercy and love. And then we go and do likewise. It is the greatest hope of the world that this church stands And for over 200 years, people have come in and out of its walls wanting to learn how to be a neighbor, needing God's grace and forgiveness, and wanting to turn around and offer it to others. This church gives me hope, and I hope it does to you too. And so next Sunday, we'll gather and we'll commit ourselves again. We'll commit ourselves to following in the way of Christ. We'll commit ourselves to being the church. And your stewardship gifts are a small part of that. But your heart that wants to move in the world asking, who needs a neighbor today? That's the hope and strength of Jesus Christ. Let us go and do likewise. Even when we fail and do it poorly, we try again and again. Because Christ has never given up on us. And we will never give up on Christ's work in the world. Amen.